0: The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency was born in February 1958. This was right after the Soviet Union had success getting Sputnik into orbit, and before the U.S. had launched a satellite successfully. The Soviet success inflamed a familiar American trait, the desire to never be playing catch up to anyone, especially when it comes to national security. So DARPA's mission to this day is to, quote, "...make pivotal investments in breakthrough technologies for national security." Over the years, DARPA's helped bring us cruise missiles, the computer mouse, Saturn V rocket, the stealth fighter, and the internet. Today's show is about how they developed one of their most interesting, newest technologies. One which might lead you to ask, What the heck does a gecko have to do with national defense? That, by the way, was Popular Mechanics contributing editor Dan Dubno. He guest-hosted this week because he was the one who somehow managed to get access to DARPA's secret lab. And now we're going to give that access to you. I'm Kevin Dupcik, and this is how your world works. So for today's episode, we had kind of an interesting opportunity to come up. Popular Mechanics Contributing Editor Dan Dubno is here because he's working on a story um, that has to do with a special project going on at DARPA, Um, but he somehow lured a program manager from DARPA into our office. So my other guest right now is John Main, who's a program officer um, with the Defense Sciences Office at DARPA. And I just want to ask you a few questions, John, before um, giving it to Dan to take it away. But uh, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Dan, thanks for somehow convincing him to come into our office. Well, it
1: was such an incredible experience actually trying the climbing devices that we're going to be talking about that uh, it was a pleasure bringing John up to New York for this uh, discussion.
0: Yeah. So I have to say um, I'm an avid X-Files fan. And I think I've only heard of DARPA in the guise of vast government conspiracies. But um, can you just say a little bit about what DARPA is for our listeners who aren't familiar? So, so there's no tunnel going from DARPA to the Pentagon, if, if, really? you're, if you're from X-Files days, yeah. Um,
2: so DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, uh, and we're a piece of the, of the defense community, and our job is to prevent technological surprise. And there's about 85 people with my job, program manager job, and we get up every day and we think about how people might surprise the United States.
0: <laughs> and so how did you end up with this job?
2: Uh, I was a professor, actually a, a mechanical engineering professor, and I was fortunate enough to win a, uh, a DARPA project at, at one point during my during my teaching days. Um, and as my project was coming to a close, I got a phone call and said, "Why don't you think about coming over here and being a program manager?" And, okay. And I was, and I left my teaching job to come to Washington D.C. for a two-year adventure at DARPA, and that was in 2002.
0: <laughs> okay, so academia or. Government, which one's better? Uh, they both have their charms,
2: but uh, if you want excitement built around high tech, uh, there's no place better than DARPA.
0: Interesting. One thing I was curious, Dan was telling me that and I, don't, I don't want to spoil anything about the the project that the, the main interview is about, but um, that you've been working on this for something like ten years. Uh, so when you're working on a project for DARPA, what's kind of the lifespan, and um, also sort of as you come in, you know, one week at a time, what is work sort of like?
2: Well, there's a there's a number of answers to that question. So, so if I look at the lifespan of a DARPA technology, what frequently happens is that it'll it will get started in one of the science offices, the very basic sciences offices at of DARPA, um, and the defense sciences office is one of those, and it will actually migrate from program to program at DARPA, eventually working its way through to one of the more Uh, system-based offices and and come out as a mature technology. Um, The program we're talking about today, which is the Z-Man program, is a little unusual because it's an actual program that's lasted a long time. Because the technology was, well, one, it was really compelling, and two, it it really spoke to a specific application that we were able to investigate from beginning to end. Um, So that's that's the DARPA program answer. There's a separate answer, which is what happens to program managers at DARPA. Mm-hmm. And th- I'm actually in my second tour at DARPA. I, w- I was <laughs> a program manager from 2002 to 2007. And I actually left and and because they encourage people to leave. In fact, it's more than oh, encourage. Oh, interesting. They actually force you to leave. Uh, people stay there four or five years. And, and I actually left and worked at a startup for about seven years. And then I came back after, um, at the conclusion of my startup career.
0: That's funny because we were actually talking just a few minutes ago, Dan and I, um, about how much sort of uh, you know, flow there is back and forth in terms of personnel between DARPA and you know, kind of these modern skunk works like Google X or maybe startups that are sort of well-funded and are working on interesting things. So DARPA actually wants you to go out and kind of have these different experiences in different places.
2: Yeah, I think, and I think flow is being too elegant. It's it's really a churn, right? <laughs> and and it's churn between DARPA and the military, and DARPA and companies, and DARPA and the government labs. And it's just you know if you kind of kind of visualize an old washing machine and watching all the water churn around, that's really what DARPA is about. Except it's a technological churn.
0: Yeah. So uh, now you're in your second tour. Are you generally at a desk? Are you in a lab? What's the work environment like?
2: Uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone. Um, it's really, you know, at its heart, it's, a, it's, it's about envisioning what technology can do and then trying to build the teams of people that are going to make that happen. So it's, it's very much of a, of a, you know, it's a dual-headed kind of role. So I spend, you know, there's cat herding, and there's also analyzing technology. And it's probably, you know. 50 50 um, among those two tasks so you know do i spend some time at a desk sure everybody does but i you know spend some time visiting labs and and going to interesting places and seeing interesting things like wall climbing technology at different places um and um so it's it's just a you know from a from a techno geek standpoint it's a wonderful experience
0: yeah see it sounds a lot better than academia i don't know um, well, anyways, uh, Dan, you got to try some of the wall climbing technology, I guess. Um, I
1: did. It was a, an incredible experience.
0: All right. Well, I, I want to hear about it. So, you know, take it away and feel free to try and get him to divulge as many government secrets as possible.
1: Absolutely. That's my plan. So uh, when talking about this project, we first have to s- ask, what is Z-Man? Who is Z-Man?
2: <laughs> so well, Z-Man is the, is the it, technically it's the name of a DARPA program. And uh, the, what lives inside of Z-Man is a family of technologies for climbing walls. Um, right now, we're very much in a focused program where we're delivering devices for climbing steel walls and climbing uh, you know, smooth walls like fiberglass and glass. Early on in the program, it was much more focused on science. We wanted to understand how a gecko could climb, uh, understand what, the forces, uh, what forces were involved in that climbing. How do they stick to the wall? How do they stick to a ceiling? How do they hold on? And can you take those same kind of mechanisms and make them work with people?
1: Well, what was the motivation a decade ago to create this project
2: on climbing? Um, well, the motivation was really, uh, in those days, we were very, very wor- worried about the, uh, about the urban battlefield. Um, it was the, we were in the thick of the Iraq war. Um, a lot of the activities that were taking place were urban activities and the urban high ground is the tops of buildings and we were trying to develop technology to get people safely to the top of buildings. Uh, going up through the stairwell tends to be uh, a fairly dangerous way to get to the top of a building so we were trying to think of better ways to get up the outside of buildings.
1: And. Um what was your role in the project? Was, was this uh, your idea? Did you say, "Hey, I have this uh, gecko I saw climbing on my roof. Uh, uh, I wish I could do that."
2: So I, this came. This is this. This is a project that literally came out of a water cooler discussion. Uh, I was standing next to uh, you know in the break room at DARPA. I was talking to one of my colleagues, a gentleman by the name of Morley Stone, who's an Air Force scientist, and uh, Morley was running. Wall climbing, a wall climbing robot program. And I was doing a, a number of things in human performance and we were just sitting there and thought, you know, is it possible to take this wall climbing technology that works on very, very small robots, you know, a couple of pounds, and scale that up to technology that will work on the size of humans. And he shrugged his shoulders and, and said, I think so. And I shrugged my shoulders and I said, I think so. And that really was the genesis of the whole program. So how does a gecko stick to a ceiling? Uh, fundamentally, it's, it's one of the basic forces of nature that we call van der Waals forces. And van der Waals forces, if you look up in the first chapter of any material science textbook or physics textbook, van der Waals forces will be described right off the bat. And it's really just forces that arise when things are very, very close to each other. Um, it's, re- it's, it's, a sticking, it's a sticking type of force. But you have to get things in very, very close contact to, to make it work. So is it electrostatic? Uh, There are electrostatic contributions to the van der Waals forces, uh, among other things.
1: Among other things. It's, it's not
2: gravity. It's, it's not gravity. Um, it's, uh, it's actually a combination of a, a number of forces that occur on the on the very very small scale.
1: Is it kind of like magic? <laughs> it's, it's actually <laughs>
2: nothing like magic. Um, if you look at the toe of a gecko, it's got it's got millions and millions of tiny tiny. I'll just call them hairs. They're just tiny little uh, tiny little protrusions, and they're very very flexible and also very very strong. And what the gecko does is get all those hairs in very, very close contact with the wall it happens to be climbing or the ceiling it happens to be hanging from. And all those, little, all those little hairs in contact are what holds the gecko onto the ceiling. This program would have been over in two years if we could have done exactly what the gecko did. Uh, and, and what the gecko does that humans can't do is, is manage to, to uh, flex between two contact points all the time and humans just aren't built to do that.
1: So in order to get someone to climb, you need to get as much surface area as possible for that person to hold on to, and you've done it creating these paddles. Correct.
2: Yep. And it's cuz the greater the amount of material we can get in contact the wall with the wall the, the more load more load that uh climber could carry. So if you start with the gecko and what the gecko has to do to to hang on a wall or hang on a ceiling is get uh, a front foot on the surface and a back foot on the surface and pull them both toward its belly so that both the front foot and the back foot are are sliding toward each other Um, and the problem is people can't do that people can't get their hand on the wall their foot on the wall and put a lot of force into sliding them toward each other so we had to come up with a different way of getting getting the gecko material, which we've managed to, du- to duplicate. We've co- had to come up with a different way of getting that in very, very close proximity to the wall. And that's what the suction cup does. Really the breakthrough that came, came about uh, in about 2014, about two years ago, where the light bulb came on and we realized that mating the suction cups with the gecko material actually made the composite device more useful than either one of those technologies is separately, and th- and that, that that was really the the you know the final event that has led to the uh, creation of the devices that you used.
1: And where did that uh, light bulb go off uh, exactly?
2: I think it was in the basement in the basement climbing lab at Draper Labs in Boston. Uh, with with and, and probably in the head of one of those of one of those engineers that, that suddenly realized that if you put the suction cup, put the gecko material inside the suction cup, and the suction cup, even if it lightly pulls the gecko material in greater contact with the wall, it improves the adhesion dramatically and, and leads to a practical climbing device.
1: What is that material made of? What is that?
2: Uh, it's a it, the fundamental material is a silicone. But it's cut in a very specific pattern. We have a number of different patterns that we've tried, but it, but it's uh, about a hundred micron tall uh, ridges that are etched into that silicone into that silicone material.
1: And for a long time, it was very hard to manufacture that, wasn't it?
2: It's still a little bit challenging to manufacture that. You want very regular surface features um, in a fairly soft material, and that just poses a manufacturing challenge. Tool making tooling on that at that accuracy level is is very difficult.
1: Uh, But it turns out that you found that you couldn't do, I guess, what you were hoping to do, which is make one climbing device, one device that fits all surfaces. Did you know when when you were starting out making this that to climb brick was going to be different than climbing glass and climbing glass was going to be different than climbing... A painted wall. We,
2: we certainly had a. We certainly knew that it was going to be different. I don't think we had an appreciation for how different it was going to be. Uh, the, the original vision for the program was the single climbing the device that would be useful everywhere, um, and that still might be possible, but it's proven to be extraordinarily challenging. So what we've compromised on is a set of climbing devices that work very very well in specific circumstances. The gecko material is useful for for climbing on glass. Like a glass building, uh, it would also work on anything smooth, like fiberglass or steel or aluminum, um, and anything and, and some slightly rougher materials if they're painted, so if they're not porous and so air won't leak through them. Um, we have some other climbing devices that actually arose because we needed to understand how to climb very early in the program. Um, we didn't know we didn't know what approach we were going to take. To actually teaching people how to use these devices, the original idea was there were going to be there was going to be gecko paddles on both hands and gecko paddles on both feet, and you're going to climb up the wall that way. That turned out not to be a good way to do it. We actually ended up with one pair of paddles and stirrups that go down as you tried yeah. uh, stirrups to go down to your feet. Um, we we figured that out very early very early on in the program by building some magnet surrogates um, that are that use very strong magnets. Uh, in climbing devices um, and, and duplicating how the gecko paddles would operate, but doing it with magnets on steel. And it actually turned out there are people that, that turned, has turned into a, a, a very successful climbing aid on its own. Um, there's a lot of steel structures, in the, even in the commercial world, a lot of steel structures that need to be climbed, like oil rigs, um, where people need something like that as a safety device or as a climbing device. Ships. Ships, yep
1: interestingly enough the magnetic uh, paddles have been sold uh, to have been licensed. I mean that's that's in the public marketplace at this at this time.
2: So that's one of the paths to success for a DARPA program is, is getting a technology all the way through to uh, a company or a group that will actually manufacture and sell it. And in this case, the early spin-off of the program, which was the magnet paddles that we just, by the way, built as surrogates, we didn't really intend for them to be a product of the program, have actually uh, translated into being a, a successful commercial product. Yeah. And I used
1: them, and they really
2: worked. They worked really well, Yep. Uh,
1: I was terrified. I, I can't do a single pull-up, and you said... That if you can climb a ladder, yeah. climb a ladder, you can climb a wall. And I was terrified, and uh, and it turned out that I could climb a wall and uh, did not fall off the wall except once.
2: <laughs> was that uh, uh, equipment failure or user error?
1: Uh, I would say that that was a hundred percent user okay. error. Uh, but um, I have to tell the listeners what a uh, soft and Intuitive experience climbing the wall really is. You have the, uh, your body weight shifts to the hand where the suction cup paddle is, and your leg is pulling down on these suckers, I guess. What are, what are, what are these things that make the suction cup
2: adhere? I don't don't think we have a name for them yet. Well, I I couldn't... There were tubes,
1: and uh, your foot is uh, pulling them down, and so your whole body is getting into just standing in one place, and then with the other hand, you just lift up gently, place the suction cup uh, paddle on the slightly higher place on the wall, and then step down and shift your weight to the other side, and ease the other one off the wall and it just becomes a very intuitive climb and you just go back and forth and back and forth and the next thing you know you're 25 feet off the ground.
2: So, so that experience you just described is exactly when we knew that we succeeded. Is when it was when it was that easy and as you see it a lot in a lot of technologies we deal with today is when the technology is easy and intuitive you've probably got a success on your hands.
1: I felt that way with the magnets too. I, I didn't when I first looked at them, when I first lifted them. I felt that they were uh, unwieldy and clunky, and I was terrified that they wouldn't come off the wall at the right time. And um, and somehow it was easy as pie, uh, attaching, detaching, and lifting and climbing. And uh, it felt like I could go indefinitely upward.
2: You probably can. I mean it it and all of that intuitive operation of both the magnets and the, and the uh, hybrid device the, with the gecko material in it uh, is the result of a lot of focused effort in making those devices easy to use. Has the gecko paddle,
1: which seems the hardest thing to bring to market, come to market yet, uh, has it
2: been used
1: operationally in any circumstance?
2: Uh, it's, it has it is not, to my knowledge, been licensed to a manufacturer yet.
1: Huh. So it hasn't been used to your
2: knowledge? <laughs> I, you're going to have to use your imagination on any sort of operational use. Gotcha.
1: Okay. This program has been going on for a decade. Will it be continued? It's a, a rather long time for a DARPA project.
2: So this this program is coming to an end. We'll be will be done early in uh, next year, I think. And uh, that technology will hopefully be licensed to someone who will who will make those devices, both for the commercial market and anybody else who might want to purchase them.
1: You said there were a number of failures along the way. Tell me about
2: those. We made a lot of. Gecko material that didn't work. Uh, that and um, those are very obvious. We we tried to take the technology and apply it in different areas. We, we, we there was an idea to use it in uh, gloves because uh, the gecko material will stick very very well to you know to, to very very smooth surfaces. Uh, but it turned out that that uh, that what you want in a glove if you're trying to hold a tool or or catch a football or anything that you might want to do there. What you want is friction. Uh, more so than adhesion, and it just turned out that uh, although we tried, uh, and uh, it was interesting, it was the wrong material for the application.
1: Oh, really? I, I was looking forward to changing the game of football with <laughs> gecko-like material to uh, suck on the gloves.
2: So I can't. I can't say there's no way to make that work. <laughs> um, it, was, it wasn't it was an emphasis of our program, so we looked at it for a little while and then moved on. Um, there was no easy win there, let me say.
1: Okay. You also, when we've spoken and we've talked about this in the past, uh, said that, um, uh, you know, success has uh, many fathers and failure uh, is often an orphan. Um, in this case, I mean, you didn't say this. This is a... Uh, cliche, I suppose. Um, what did you find about how many different groups taking credit for having worked out the solution to the gecko problem?
2: Right. So, so there, there are some funny stories there, but since, since I was actually the program manager that began the program in uh, 2007, 2008, and then I got to come back For the kind of the victory tour Um, i have been surprised on more than one occasion by someone coming up to me and introducing themselves as as an early participant in the program Uh, and i won't name any names but but uh you know people that that claim to be part of the program at its inception when i know in fact they were not there Uh, but there's but you know the i think the my version of that statement is usually success is messy and failure is clean and and this has been you know it's been a very difficult uh rewarding investigation that's that proved to be more more complicated than we thought it was going to be um, but our, our initial instincts have proven to be I think to be correct that there was an opportunity there. As it turned out it wasn't exactly the opportunity that we thought it was um, but uh, you know we, we have been able to develop some some really compelling technology that could have some uh, uh, could be, could prove to be very valuable both in the commercial market and in the defense in the defense world.
1: It sounded like there were some years in the wilderness, though, that they were not sure that the gecko would ever be translatable. That the, the forces that the gecko was using would ever be translatable into human devices, or was it was it always a constant progression, or was there? Was there ever despair?
2: Well, is it, well, I was about to say, is it, is it? There's a there's a required stage in every technology project, which is the despair stage, and the despair stage was probably 2011 to 2012, where, where we have been working on it for quite some time, and and just were kind of in a rut, and this the whole the whole idea around the around the suction cups came about because of our frustration of being in that rut, and that's really the good thing about about you know, DARPA's persistence in working on technologies is that you almost want people to reach that point of despair and you want people to get to the point of frustration because that's when the creativity and the drive kicks in and something terrific happens. So from a
1: program manager's standpoint, what is the thing you've learned? What's the most important lesson you've learned from this uh, Z-Man challenge?
2: The biggest message, I think, from Z-Man is get the A-team in there at the outset and give them the time and space to succeed because we had a terrific developer uh, at uh, Draper, Draper Labs, who was working on this project since day one, and if they hadn't had the, the, uh, the time and the freedom to explore this space, which was completely uninvestigated, it was a brand new science and technology space, uh, if they didn't have the time to really explore it and understand all of the possibilities in that space, they wouldn't have succeeded. Compared with
1: DARPA's work with, say, the cruise missile or GPS, is Z-Man up to that level of uh, importance in uh, DARPA's gift to the military? And uh, if so, why?
2: Well. Y- go back to what DARPA's mission is. Our, our mission is to prevent surprise. Uh, surprise in the sciences and surprise in technology. Um, and, a, and a surprise that could arise from, from a revolutionary climbing technology can be just as bad as a surprise that could arise from something else. And so uh, you know, time will tell whether or not Z-Man turns out to be as valuable as other, other DARPA products. Uh, but there was certainly a surprise in there. We think we understand the surprise now, and the beauty of 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 it is is now it it's not a surprise anymore. We understand that technology. We understand what it can do, and we can prepare for it.
1: I, I wonder if the name is going to stick uh, as
2: well I, as the
1: uh, you know. The, I mean, Gecko is a uh, Gecko Man, or
2: yeah, I think the name's kind of embarrassing. Uh, you know, that that was a name that arose from a, about a a two-minute decision we had to get a program name on it and uh and you know just to go really nerdy on you it was really a ball about it, uh, on the plane it's x and y and z was up and <laughs> that, it, that's really where z band came from hopefully it, it, when it translates to a company who is going to, who licenses the technology from draper and makes these commercially they'll they'll engage somebody f- from marketing who will do a much better job of that
0: that's our show. How Your World Works is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Eddie Bowers from Panoply, as well as Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And by the way, don't forget to check out our sister show, The Most Useful Podcast Ever. And if you want to read more about DARPA and other cool military technology, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, don't forget that you can subscribe to the print and digital editions of the Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 for one year. I'm Kevin Dupsik, thanks for listening.